Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, October 15th. We begin with a look at the devastating impact the pandemic has had on local businesses, specifically a large number on McLeod Trail. We speak with Mario Tanaguzzi, media expert in the retail industry, to see if there's a reason that area has been hit so hard. It's been a rough ride for parents over the past several months, but one organization hopes to lend a hand to families who've been struggling. We learn about the Alberta-based resource Great Parenting Simplified. Next, we hear about a new fundraising and awareness campaign to support Grit Calgary Society. We get details on an exciting online auction which will help raise much-needed funds for children living with disabilities in our city. And finally, it's not the debate American voters were expecting to see, but the candidates will be front and center. We catch up with Reggie Giacchini, Global Washington correspondent, to tee up tonight's dueling televised town halls between President Donald Trump and Joe Biden. 609 on the morning news. From ranchmen's to shanks, moxies, jackasters, and humpties, those are just a few of the casualties due to the pandemic on the hard-hit stretch of McLeod Trail. Is there a reason behind this part of the city seeing a greater impact in the wake of the coronavirus crisis? To discuss further, we're joined by Mario Tanaguzzi, media expert in the retail industry. Good morning to you, Mario. Good morning, Andrew. Well, you know, thanks for taking the time, and this is something that I've noticed. I live down south, and I've noticed the closures on McLeod Trail piling up. So is there any reason that this part of the city has so many closures, or is it just purely coincidence? Well, I think a lot of it has to do coincidence um, of the times we're in. But but uh, once you uh, brought that to my attention, I kind of was thinking about it, and 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 two things really came to mind. And number one is... Uh, the number of similar businesses along that strip, right? Uh, you know, and we're talking restaurants, and uh, mm-hmm. you go from from Stampede Park all the way down to uh, I don't know, say Anderson Road, roughly, and uh, and uh, there's got to be hundreds of, of of restaurants and and food establishments, food establishments, sorry, along the way. Uh, so I think that's one of it, right? Uh, obviously, business is down uh, everywhere uh, for everybody. Um, so when you have a lot of competition, that kind of squeezes uh, uh, the amount of business that you uh, you can have for an individual restaurant. The second thing, too, is, you know, I think a lot of uh, restaurants built or, or uh, established their establishments along that busy strip because it was a busy strip, right? It, it was a main traffic corridor throughout the city, uh, you know, north and south over the years. But let's face it, a lot of people aren't out and about these days, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, so a lot of people aren't traveling that road like they used to, uh, say, going to work. Uh, you know, how many people are going to work or coming back, uh, you know, home from work from the downtown? So... I think that might have something to do with it as well. Uh, you know, businesses cut already because of the economy and COVID. And secondly, you know, the the traffic is uh, uh, you know along that busy uh, strip is down as well. So, so that might have some some of the factors involved and uh, what's happening down there. Mario, I think you're right. You know, and it really kind of at one point was sort of a destination, right? Because yeah. that's where everything was. So now, you know, I live up in the north. Why would I drive all the way down there when now in the smaller or in the, uh, you know, outlying communities, we're starting to get more and more restaurants for one. And for two, more importantly, I was wondering, do you think that they were a lot of those restaurants built many, many years ago? And a lot of them are kind of, you know, seen better days. Let's put it that way. 
Well, some of them, of course, uh, they do. However, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right? Uh, you know, I, uh, I know one restaurant in Calgary uh, that has been around for 40 years, and uh, they never really changed anything about the restaurant. I won't say who it is. Uh, I give mm. them a plug. But, but they haven't changed, and the owner has always told me, he says, hey, this is who we are. This is what we've done well for, 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 for many, many years, so we'll just keep keep on that track you know I, again I, I just think you know it's it's the times that we're in mm-hmm. like my gosh you know uh, you know uh, it's tough right now with with people spending money uh, so you've got that and then and then of course you've got the social distancing rules uh, you know how many people uh, you know 50 percent less than 50 percent in restaurants you know that goes right straight to the bottom line and you know what and and another factor is you know people like you know people are just tired of of like going out anywhere and having to wear a mask or mm-hmm. or or you know forgetting forgetting their mask yeah. <laughs> i was like i was like that recently i went downtown parked and then started walking down 8th avenue mall and uh halfway to my destination i realized oh crap you know i forgot my mask right <laughs> yeah, me every and, day mario <laughs> <laughs> and you and you reach and you go back to your car but you know how many people do that and then just say yeah you know forget it. i'm not gonna go where i was supposed to go and just you know move on well think of the extra exercise i think we've all done that a million times so far over the past <laughs> couple of months uh, but in the in the case of mcleod trail we all know that the economy was not clicking along or strong before the pandemic and i'm thinking of the other places on mcleod trail like uh, the starbucks uh, closer to 90th avenue you move a little further south the white spot uh, you know pulling up and uh, moving out because of you know a landlord dispute from what i understand on mcleod trail south uh, so could it be a case that a lot of these businesses that we're hearing about in the past few weeks uh, for example, we're just teetering on the edge, and this is the final nail in the coffin, so to speak? Well, I think that's for a lot of things, uh, Andrew. I, I think a lot of businesses right now are teetering. I just uh, did an interview yesterday with Dan Kelly, who's the president and CEO of the uh, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and uh, he was talking about how this is such a critical time of the year for a lot of those businesses in, in that industry, the, especially the restaurant industry. Um, you know what? Uh, a lot of them relied on this time of the year to, to keep them afloat for the whole year, right? And uh, uh, so uh, it, it's going to be, you know, depending on what the COVID numbers do and, and how, I guess, how governments respond to them. You know, you see what's happening in Ontario and, and Quebec. There's already, uh, you know, some uh, uh, measures in place, more restrictive measures going back, not not back to as like it was initially, but but still, any restrictive measures is going to hurt the uh, the restaurant industry. So we'll see what happens here in Alberta because those those numbers continue to climb here as well. Mario, do you think and are you expecting more closures to come, whether it's along McLeod Trail or elsewhere? Oh gosh, yes. Um, there's going to be there's going to be a ton. It's it's almost like every every day you hear something, right? And uh, or you see, or you drive by somewhere and you go, oh my gosh, that place is closed now, right? And uh, uh, I think uh, again, the next couple of months are going to be critical for many small businesses, whether they're restaurants or whether they're uh, retail outlets. Um, you know, the government, federal government came out uh, just last week with a new uh, rent kind of relief program that 
that many of the business group, uh, groups are quite happy with. Uh, uh, however, you know what, this has been a long time coming. You know, we're six, seven months into a pandemic. Mm-hmm. These businesses are digging themselves into a hole. Uh, a lot of them are just teetering. And I, and I think, um, I think come uh, the beginning of the new year, um, the wave of closures is uh, going to be something. Crazy time. Uh, thank you for your time this morning, Mario. Hey, thank you, Andrew and Sue. Mario Tanaguzzi is a media expert in the retail industry. His website, calgreesbusiness.ca. 6.42 now, and it has certainly been a tough slog for parents during the pandemic. And there's an Albertan organization that's offering up support. Jacqueline Green is the founder and CEO of GPS, or Great Parenting Simplified, an Edmonton-based global parenting support program. Hi, Jacqueline. Hello. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We can use your help, I'm sure. We know the pandemic has brought mental health issues, divorce, behavioral issues all up. So tell us, first of all, what GPS is, and then we'll, we'll get into how you're trying to help. But what is GPS? Well, Great Parenting Simplified is a grassroots organization, and we are based here in Alberta, and that's where I live as a founder. We have a large contingent in Calgary, Edmonton, and all over the province. And we have over 40,000 parents all across the world who have, over the years, been helped by us. And what we are is a combination of expert support, but also peer support. Because when you're battling a pandemic, you don't have time to be reading books, and the Mm. books actually are out of date. You really need people who are in the trenches who are also battling and, and dealing with the same issues you are, especially because... School to school, even within Calgary, things are different. So I guess we could think of it kind of, Jacqueline, as a one-stop shop so it removes the legwork for parents looking for resources? Yeah, Andrew, that's exactly. The point of Great Parenting Simplified is to simplify things, to make it so parents aren't using their spare time, the little bit of spare time you have, in order to consume more parenting information that can make you feel worse about yourself. Because if you don't know what to do in the moment and you're feeling like you just didn't read the right book or you're forgetting a tip, that actually destabilizes you and your kids, especially when there's a crisis. They need us to be confident and to actually have more of an inner guidance system, an inner sense of, I can figure this out, not an, a sense of, oh, I've got to spend my, my 30 minutes at the end of the day consuming more blogs. I love that you have access to global parenting experts. So, I mean, the interwebs is, a, you know, a fantastic thing that uh, allows us to, to access people literally from around the world. You're right. So are you seeing more people reaching out to you through this pandemic now? Well, yes, and we're also seeing a lot of parents hunkered down. So we're seeing a bit of both. Some parents are reaching out and saying, hey, I need help. Other parents are saying, hey, I need help. And really, right now, I just have to, you know, feed the kids, look for another job, whatever the most urgent thing is. And school issues, as you know, are so contentious and so tense for people. So we're getting parents, in a lot of cases, saying we need help and we barely have time to even get it. Within the organization, you have something called coaches. Tell us what the role of a coach is, Jacqueline. Well, yeah, we have some coaches actually in Calgary, and it's fun. Maybe sometime you'll have one of them come on um, because I'm up in Edmonton. The coaches are trained in our five steps to great parenting simplified, and they are moms, and so far only moms um, have become coaches. So they're moms in the trenches, 
and they can share both what they know and I've interviewed over 165 now of the world's top parenting experts on parenting-related experts, so I've distilled that into those five steps. So they make those five steps tangible and really help parents figure out, okay, how do I apply that to my life? Because, you know, that problem with theory versus actual practice, a lot of times people get stuck when they go to actually put things in practice. Mm -hmm. I know you guys have done a, a survey. Can you tell us a little bit about your Great Parenting Simplified survey and the results you got? Yeah, sure. I We were knowing that parents were feeling really isolated, knowing that parents were feeling really stressed and that mental health issues were on the rise. And that's absolutely what the survey found. And it's interesting because on the one hand, we found that, that a significant chunk of the parents, of course, were our parents and they were saying, thanks for the support, we're doing pretty well or even doing great in the middle of the pandemic, which is great. But we had at least a third of the people, and that means a third of the children, are in situations where they're feeling really unsupported. Some of them answered, 15.6% said in terms of a village of support that they had none, that they felt like they're left to fend for themselves. And when parents are anxious and stressed, and mental health of parents and children were top of the list, when parents are anxious and stressed and then feel like they have no one having their back, that's a really toxic environment for their children to be in. And of course, the parents are doing the best that they can. But part of the intent of this um, crowdfund that we started was to really show people that there is a village out there. People mm-hmm. do care. But a lot of times, those grandparents, aunts and uncles, extended community members don't know now how they can help parents, especially if they can't go into the home and do some of the things they used to do. Sounds like a great resource. Thanks for your time this morning, Jacqueline. No, my pleasure. That's Jacqueline Green of Great Parenting Simplified. You can find the organization online at greatparentingsimplified.com. 8-12 now, and uh, Grit Calgary was literally two days away from their biggest fundraiser when COVID hit, so the team put the brakes on, but now they've pivoted. They're ready to raise awareness and money through a two-week online auction. And with all the details, we're joined this morning by Annette Eckel, Program Administrator at Grit Calgary Society. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You know, our our 770 CHQR's Children's Foundation, obviously a big and very proud supporter of Grit Calgary. But for those who don't know, tell us about the amazing work Grit does. Well, Grit Calgary Society is a program that works with preschool special needs children. So our goal is to get these kiddos out in their community um, and we provide a home community-based program. And fundraising, obviously, is key. So with the gala cancelled at the last minute, you you guys have had to come up with another idea, and this one is brilliant. Yeah, so like many other organizations out there, COVID hit, and we had to put those brakes on. Um, So through the summer, we kind of put our thinking caps on and looked at a couple other organizations that were doing things, and we felt that we could jump into the online auction area, and that's what we're starting today. Two weeks of an online auction. Let's tell, uh, tell us about how this auction came to be. Uh, you know, who did you reach out to in the community? What sorts of items will be auctioned? Well, we were, we're very fortunate to have um, some wonderful people that have always donated, and our silent auction is something we always pride ourselves on. So we have some fabulous items from home decoration to great gifts for kids, um, 
some fun little getaways here in the city and um just and then we also have some unique one of a kind art pieces that we actually worked on with the kids last year before covid hit so we're really excited about what we're going to be able to showcase in this auction I was honored to be, you know, uh, MC at the uh, gala the year before last. This what would have been the, uh, your second one this year, but I, I, so I know your your auction is always it's massive. You get great support from the community. So as you auction off these items, what do you do with the money, Annette? Where does it directly go? So our money goes directly back to the programs for the kids. Um, so whether it be communication devices materials and equipment, specialized seating. As many people know, anything for children with special needs because it has to be adapted, there's such a high cost to it. So we're always looking for those extra funds to be able to provide that material or equipment for our kids. Again, the auction replacing the gala. So I'm wondering, you know, how much money are you hoping to raise from this two-week auction? We're looking and hoping that our auction itself brings between the five to $8,000 mark. Of course, we um, have 65 items, so we're quite excited about that. And we're just hoping that um, we can get the people having some fun online and putting those bids up so we can raise some money. Annette, where do we find the items so that we can bid on them and help raise money for Grit Calgary? So the auction itself will go live this afternoon through Elevate Auction. Um, There will be links available on our GRIT website as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages. Okay, what time does it go live? It should go live at 2 o'clock if everything um, (laughs) comes together. We're just finalizing a few pictures and stuff this morning and then it'll be ready to go. And then we'll be able to help out the kids. And, you know, I, I met a lot of the, the kids that your organization has helped. And, and they're a wonderful group. And they, they really love to be a part of the organization, but also to get out and be part of uh, the Calgary, the, the people, the, the community, don't they? Yeah, we have a very special group of family, kids, staff, and we like to get out there and do things. So we're, we're missing that piece, but... Our staff are back, our DSs are back in the homes now, which is great. So we're hoping that as, you know, things evolve, um, we'll be out doing a little bit more in the community as well. Great stuff. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Annette. Thank you very much for having me on the radio. And uh, don't forget to get out and bid. Get out and bid for sure. That is Annette Eckel, Program Administrator at Grit Calgary Society. Online, they live at gritcalgarysociety.com. The U.S. presidential candidates were set to debate tonight until President Trump refused to debate virtually. So instead, the candidates are taking part in dueling town hall style meetings. Joining us this morning with details is Global's Washington correspondent, Reggie Cicchini. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Where are you? Loud behind you. What's going on? Yeah, we are in Greenville, North Carolina for the Trump rally that's set to take place about four hours from now. Uh, You know, his fourth or fifth rally he's held so far this week with several more still to come. And, uh, you know, I will tell you that we've been out here for the last couple of hours. Busloads of people continue to get uh, uh, driven into the airport here. Uh, And for hours now, it has been a packed crowd uh, of people in line, not socially distanced, and nobody is wearing a mask. The rally uh, taking place this morning, of course, all eyes on what we would call must-see TV tonight. And the question that Sue uh, posed within her introduction there, Reggie, is is anybody going to benefit from these two candidates having, you know, du- you know, dueling town halls same time? 
No, look, there's a lot of criticism about this town hall style uh, event happening tonight. And it really is because uh, this was supposed to be a debate between both candidates. And President Trump backed out because it became a virtual event after he contracted COVID-19 several weeks ago. He didn't want it to become a virtual event. So he said he wasn't going to do it. Joe Biden said, well, look, this needs to happen. Otherwise, it just shouldn't happen at all. So he simply went his own way. But the fact that another network being NBC offered a platform to President Trump to kind of counter program Joe Biden isn't sitting well with a lot of the public right now because it really doesn't give anyone an opportunity to see these two candidates kind of go neck and neck on the actual uh, topics that are important to people. It's just giving them a platform for several hours to talk about their own messaging and their kind of uh, their talking points that they've been pushing for weeks and months now. Totally. It's, it's really it's quite ridiculous. I mean, how, give them both a platform, but do it either on different nights or certainly at different times at the least. It's been really interesting to watch as these rallies. Again, you're at another one where it's packed and nobody's wearing masks and they're all jammed in there together but they're all still there supporting Donald Trump aren't they? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the fact that you're going to see Donald Trump uh, on stage here in Greenville just a couple of hours from now for what could be, you know, a half hour or an hour long rally, just like the one that he had in Iowa last night, you're going to hear those talking points that he's been pushing for four years and a lot of those factual inaccuracies that he's been talking about for the last several weeks and months. And then you're going to hear those exact same phrases spoken again tonight because he's going to be in a single uh, setting with just himself and, and, and town hall, you know, style with NBC. So it really is questionable. Uh, the reason that both of these candidates are being given kind of prime time space tonight to talk about what they've been talking about, you know, with the average American uh, over the last several months. There are certain things that simply just don't make sense in an election campaign. And this is one of them. Uh, what, uh, this, I'm on, hoping you can make sense out of this next statement here because I was watching this and you heard it making the rounds yesterday. As far as 19 days left to the big day, November 3rd, Donald Trump yesterday on stage, or I believe it might have been on uh, Tuesday night, begging suburban women to please love him and underscoring that he doesn't have much time left before the election. What is the strategy behind that, Reggie? Well, A, there's some reality that has kind of hit the Trump campaign there, that they're hemorrhaging support when it comes to a key demographic being suburban women across the United States. He brought them in heavily back in 2016. But the fact that the United States has been dealing with violence, the fact that the that the president uh, has been kind of pushing back on the realities and the severity of the coronavirus, he really has been pushing back on that key demographic of suburban women that he needs uh, in order to secure some kind of victory just 19 days from now and to publicly have to come out and say, look, please like me. Uh, acknowledges that he may have some downfalls or some flaws that he's fully kind of coming out to say, you may not like me, but please do it because I want your vote. Uh, and it shows that there is a, a sense of weakness here in the Trump campaign that they're putting under a spotlight right now because suburban women are flocking towards Joe Biden's campaign and even some suburban men. Here in North Carolina, Donald Trump held a commanding lead uh, with, with suburban men and it has dropped by 26 points over the last month. Reggie, uh, polling and fundraising all seem to be going in Joe Biden's favor. I just saw a tweet that the Biden campaign would need to spend about a million dollars per hour every hour until Election Day to spend all the money they have just raised. Yeah, they had a huge campaign uh, fundraising haul last month, more than $380 million, far outdoing what the Trump campaign has managed to bring in. This is part of the reason we're seeing the Trump campaign pull back their spending in some of those swing states throughout uh, the North and through the Midwest and try to put their focus into areas like North Carolina and Georgia and Florida. And it really is because these are states that are supposed to be a Republican bastion. And Donald Trump is either trailing Joe Biden or neck in neck in these states where Republicans really have kind of had a stronghold for 
for years now. Uh, so there are, again, realities that are hitting the Trump campaign that without hitting some key states and without being able to spend and, and get some kind of victory, this really could be done and done on election night and not have this long drawn out fight that people have been predicting. Reggie, news yesterday that uh, some uh, articles were being blocked uh, on social media outlets surrounding Hunter Biden, which is obviously Joe Biden's son. Can you tell us, you know, what was the content of that article? Because uh, a lot of us have not been able to read it. And, uh, you know, uh, was it uh, blocked legitimately? Well, so it's a New York Post article that, that has some questionable uh, information about a hard drive that was dropped off at a Delaware area computer store uh, that that hard drive then contained information about a potential meeting between uh, Hunter Biden's former employer, Burisma, and then Vice President, uh, President Joe Biden, along with some uh, questionable videos of Hunter Biden. Uh, there's information that, that doesn't add up. Uh, there, there are questions as to why Rudy Giuliani and Rudy Giuliani's lawyers were the ones who were immediately notified of this laptop. So it was flagged as potential potentially being uh, false or not being fully vetted. Uh, so Twitter decided to take it down and so did Facebook. And this really has created a pushback amongst Republicans to say that big tech is getting in the way uh, of information, getting in the way uh, of the election, when really uh, there are simply questions about the journalism that went into this story and whether or not it was simply just a hit piece put out uh, on Joe Biden, which is why these companies decided, you know what, if you want to go and find it, go and find it. But they didn't want to get caught up in the middle of it. But it also puts the question out there for Republicans to question Twitter's move. Twitter at the end of the day is a private company and can do what it wants with its own platform. And it does raise a question of if a private company is a private company, how long can it stay private if people are telling it what to do? Uh, let's pivot, change gears quickly before we let you go. I want to just quickly talk about Judge Amy Coney Barrett and, uh, you know, the questioning of her before allowing her onto the Supreme Court. She's been pretty evasive. Is this really a moot point? Is she just going to get on? She will get uh, she will get put onto the, to the high bench. There's simply just not enough votes in the Democratic side for this to be blocked. Republicans will move this forward. Some of the questions that she's been facing are being questioned themselves as either being softballs from the Republicans or too hard by the Democrats. She hasn't answered big questions about things like uh, health care and things like gay marriage uh, and how she would move forward with Roe v. Wade. But at the end of the day, Republicans have the votes to put her up there. And it simply is going to have to be a wait and see situation if Joe Biden wins, how he decides to counteract any new stacked bench with conservatives. Thanks for your time this morning, Reggie. Thank you. That's Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent.